If you travel to the future, can you escape your past? Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology series. In this bonus episode series, I will be reviewing Amazon Prime's new sci-fi anthology series, Solos, created by David Wheel? 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 <laughs> For archives of all of my episodes, visit AnthologyPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod and follow me on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. And if you'd like to support what I do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer, where if you pledge $1 per month, you get access access to exclusive B-roll episodes recorded before most, if not well, the majority of the podcast episodes I record on across all three of my podcasts. Um, in the B-roll episode that accompanies this podcast episode, fingers crossed, um, I ta- I will talk about Doug Lyman's quarantine movie Lockdown, which stars Anne Hathaway and Chiwetel Ejiofor on HBO Max. And uh, if you pledge $2 per month, you get access to all of those B-roll episodes plus TV review and reaction episodes up on the Patreon feed for $2 and above patrons. I have Rutherford Falls Season 1 Review, Superstore Complete Series Review, and weekly recaps of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then I'm going to be doing weekly recaps of Loki when it airs in, I think, June. And at the $5 month per level, you get access to all of that plus commentary tracks and immediate reviews of movies that I see. So I've got uh, commentary tracks for Sunshine, Captain America Civil War, Ex Machina, Seven, um, a bunch of stuff. I'm doing a project where I'm going to be review or doing commentary tracks for each of the movies in my top 25 favorite movies of all time list, um, which is daunting. Um, but that gives us at least three commentary tracks a month at the $5 level in addition to the TV reviews and the exclusive B-roll episodes. And finally, at the $10 a month per level, you get access to all of that that I've said already, plus early access to podcast episodes and previously unreleased content. So um, I'm recording. I was fortunate enough to get access to screeners for solos, and my plan is to have all seven of my bonus episodes recorded by the time the uh, by the time solos premieres on may 21st and as such um <laughs> the patreon supporters at the ten dollars uh ten dollars per month level will get access to every one of those seven bonus episodes day one on may 21st when the show premieres um and then everyone else will get access to the bonus episodes week to week as i release them weekly so again that's at patreon.com slash obsessed viewer every penny that is uh that is donated and uh put through patreon to me is uh put goes through uh goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcasts running all three of the podcasts and uh is super appreciated i really appreciate all the support even if you just consider it um, i just i really appreciate uh even the consideration okay so today on the show i'm beginning my seven part bonus episode series for the new sci-fi anthology series solos which premiered all of its episodes on may 21st 2021 on prime video and if you're listening to this the day that it's released, like I said, um, this is the day that it was released on Prime Video. <laughs> and on Patreon, you get access to all seven of the bonus episode series that I'm doing. 
So in this particular episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing Leia, the first episode of the series, which stars Anne Hathaway as a gifted scientist who discovers time travel, but soon reveals questionable motivations behind wanting to venture into the future. In my review, I'll be spoiling the entire episode, so make sure you watch it before listening to the show. And uh, yeah, so what I usually do is a kind of a, a beat-for-beat rundown of the um, episode, but I think that that blurb that I just read will suffice as far as... Um, plot synopsis is concerned. So before I get into my review, though, I'm going to go into the talent rundown for the episode, which is pretty short since this series is kind of developed as monologue-based single performer um, showcases. So this episode stars Anne Hathaway as Leia. Um, so I have a I have a funny a funny story that is interesting to me and probably of no interest to any of the listeners, but um, funny story about my kind of obsessive viewer past. Um, <laughs> I first became aware of Anne Hathaway way back in the year 1999 in her screen debut on the short-lived Fox drama <laughs> Get Real. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on like Obsessive Viewer or any of my other podcasts or anything, but I like this was one of the I don't know this was one of the first TV shows that I was quote unquote obsessed with. Um, at least in the internet age, in the internet era of my life. So uh, this show was, I mean, I don't remember anything necessarily about it, so I can't really speak to the quality of it. It was canceled after one season. It had a 22-episode order, but they only aired 20 of the episodes before they canceled it. Um, so the interesting thing about Get Real is that it starred Anne Hathaway in her first role, Jesse Eisenberg in his first role, and Eric Christian Olsen, um, the three of them were the kids of the Green family, um, and it was kind of a family drama. It, like I said, it was an early TV show obsession for me, uh, so much so that I wanted... <laughs> this is this is kind of embarrassing. Oh, there's more embarrassing stuff, but um, so much so that I wanted to leave... Like, I, there was a, I was in junior high, and there was a school dance, and I wanted to leave early specifically because Get Real was airing that night, and I was deeply afraid and uh, anxiety-ridden uh, that my mom wasn't gonna wasn't going to be able to tape it for me, <laughs> like tape it on a VCR. Um, so yeah, so uh, and also just not not to flex or anything or not to brag. Um, and I'm sure as soon as I say this, you guys are gonna rush to the Patreon to 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 sign up. But 13 year old Matt was a charter member of a small internet fan club for Get Real, thanks to, I believe it was for, it was the IMDb message boards. <laughs> it may have actually been the tv.com message boards. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, there was like a little Get Real fan club. And I was like, <laughs> I remember like whatever page, like one of the other people on the message board like made like the web page for it. It was like a GeoCities web page or something. But I remember saying like this, this fan club is was created by so and so so and so and Matt. I I don't know if they I don't know if they said Matt Hurt or if it said Matt H, but I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this too. The more most embarrassing and uh awkward thing is that I once uh like the <laughs> again this is 1999 guys. I was 13, but I. Uh, I took out the phone book and I was, I called like a handful of people and was like, Hey, um, just want to let you know, there's a TV show um, that's airing tonight on Fox called Get Real. It's really good and you should watch it. Um, so yeah, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> so if you if you live in Speedway, Indiana, and you got a call in 1999 of this little like like this little kid telling you to watch a TV show, I am sorry. <laughs> Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, Anne Hathaway is in this show and, uh, she's really talented. She's, I mean, she's, she's a phenomenal actress and, uh, she's been in a lot of stuff. And writer for this episode was the show's creator, David Wheel. Uh, he's also the showrunner for Amazon Prime's Nazi hunting Al Pacino show. Not Nazis hunting Al Pacino, but Nazi hunting Al Pacino starring show Hunters, which I've never seen, but I've been kind of intrigued by. And after seeing this episode, I'm kind of curious to check out David Wheel's, uh, uh, other works. And it's interesting to note that he also had a story by credit on Monkey Paw Productions, The Twilight Zone, Season 2, Episode Ovation. And uh, currently in development, he co-created a TV series with Simon P- Kenberg, who was a producer on The Twilight Zone, for Apple TV Plus that is in production now. It's based on The War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, and it's called Invasion. And I'm very curious um, about that. I'm very interested in uh, in that. And uh, while we're talking about the creator of the show, there is an interview that he gave, um, kind of a feature on TVInsider.com, and he kind of had some quotes to share about the show, and I'm going to kind of run those down. I'll put a link to the full uh, article in the show notes. It also has a gallery of images and everything. So uh, he's quoted as saying, quote, each piece of the show centers around an incredible actor who will be at the helm of the episode, guiding viewers through this beautiful story. And he says, I think less is more with this piece. And I'm kind of interested in that because I am reviewing these as I watch them. So um, I, I have access to all, all seven episodes and I've watched the first one a couple of times and now I'm recording the episode. And then after I finish recording this, I'm going to watch the second episode and so on and so forth. And I'm really, really hoping that I get all of the reviews um, <laughs> recorded before May 21st, so I can fulfill that promise to the Patreon supporters at $10, uh, at the $10 level. Anyway, and he also said, in regards to the show's inspiration, he said, quote, I always wanted to tell these long-form monologues. I wanted to tell stories the way that I first heard stories and fell in love with them, which was one individual telling a singular story in one environment, whether that was my brother telling ghost stories around a campfire or my grandmother telling me her experiences of the war around a bowl of chicken soup at her kitchen table. I so long sought to express and create stories like that. And on the subject of the primary aim of the show, he said, quote, it was to allow the viewer to feel like the person on screen is speaking just to them. It's about familial relationships. It's about hopes, dreams, desires, loneliness, and solitude. Um, and then the final quote that I pulled from the article is that he said, These short stories are centered around a very unique individual, all set a few minutes in the future. And there are some pronounced and more subtle connections between these characters that I think will be fun for an audience to discover along the way. Again, you can check that out at TVInsider.com. I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. But those kind of statements, having only watched one episode, and these are like 30-minute episodes, at least the first episode was, um, I'm very intrigued to can continue watching the show. I'm very intrigued about the kind of central theme of the entire show and everything. And especially in light of the pandemic and the COVID-19 pandemic and everything. I feel like this, this type of show, the themes that he's playing with the ideas that he's presented in these quotes are things that are going to resonate a lot with uh, viewers. Um, especially, you know, uh, while we're in a pandemic and everything. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, to see where the show leads. 
And uh, so director for this episode was Zach Braff, who is known for Scrubs and he his directorial efforts of Garden State and Wish I Was Here. Um, this was kind of surprising when I saw his name pop up in the credits um, and pretty cool. Um, OK, so that's the talent run. And like I said, it's pretty, pretty, you know, short because um, this is a pretty, pretty small production and everything with only one actor in it. But uh, having said all of that, having run down the talent, I'm going to go into my overall thoughts on this episode. And so um, <laughs> after viewing just after one after a single viewing of this episode, I made these notes and I was really intrigued and excited to dive into the rest of the show. And I kind of feel like the strength of this episode is um, contingent on the power behind Anne Hathaway's performance. Like when you have an actor of Anne Hathaway's caliber in a role where she's the only performer, it really gives her room to explore the character and bring a lot of pathos to the role. And uh, on that same note, the time travel device uh, in the show in this episode was pretty good. And has some interesting turns of the plot along the way. But I was mostly there for the emotional catharsis and the human element of the story. And I really hope that the rest of the series continues to explore that angle. And judging from uh, David Wheel's um, quotes from that article, I'm very much looking forward to to discovering more of the show. And uh, the uh, kind of closing thought on my overall thoughts is that this had the feel of a very high quality short film that you'd see on the like film festival circuit. Um, since it doesn't get bogged down in the science fiction of its plot device and instead uses it as a backdrop for character development. And that's something that I just found so charming and, and beautiful in the, in the, in the uh, episode. And I don't know if that's because I am just genuine, gen, uh, genuinely so, enamored with kind of like the indie film festival circuit um, after years of covering um, Heartland Film Festival here in Indianapolis and as well as Indie Film Fest in Indianapolis as well. Um, I just I kind of have this really deep admiration for independent filmmaking and indie films uh, and indie filmmakers. And so to kind of have that expressed or have that kind of very specific like indie production feel um, captured in this TV show that is on Prime Video um, was really charming. It really charmed me in a big way, and I kind of wonder how much of that is also because I didn't wasn't able to I wasn't able to be at film festivals last year, and maybe I'm just really hurting for that kind of thing. Which, by the way, as I'm recording this, Indie Film Fest is currently going, and I'm very proud to say that I am a juror on the American Spectrum uh, um, uh, category of films. So I'm super excited to dig to dig into those. Uh, to those films there. So, okay. So those are my kind of broad thoughts on Leia. And now I'm going to go into my full review. So again, spoilers on for Leia. So if you haven't watched the episode, go check it out and come back and, and listen to it at this point. But there's your warning. Spoilers on um, for Leia. So it opens with uh, a voiceover from Morgan Freeman. He says, if you travel into the future, can you escape the past? And I found that really interesting because Morgan Freeman doing the voiceover is is pretty was pretty un, unexpected to me. Like I know that he plays a character named Stuart in an episode. In fact, it's the seventh episode, seventh and final episode. So presumably, I'm assuming that he'll do a voiceover to introduce each episode and have like a little log line for each one. And I'm into that. I think that that's pretty that's pretty cool. 
Um, I am curious what that means for his character specifically. Like, I wonder if that is if that is going to give some interconnectivity to all the episodes and that his episode is going to reveal something about his his particular character that connects everything. Um, and I, even if that's not the case, I just wonder what is special about his character and what's special about his episode specifically that gives him the specialty of being narrator. And I say that aside from him being Morgan Freeman, I mean, I mean, he is a legendary voiceover person. Like, like he's a legendary actor who is very much known for, uh, for his, um, voiceovers and everything. So after that, we get kind of a display of the, the um, title of the episode. It just says Leia. Each episode is named after the central character, which I'm, I'm cool with. And the opening shot of the episode is Leia working in the basement. It's very cluttered with electronic panels and, and dig, like, like lighted, like lights and everything. And I like that the opening shot gives us a full view of this entire space. Like we see the couch and the washer and dryer in the background. And we also see the light fixtures above and below her. And I found those interesting since they give that slightly reddish glow to it. It's, it kind of, it's not a very pronounced like tint into the whole scene, but it is enough to kind of make it register that like this is, like this is kind of futuristic science fictiony. Like not even, like just the, the reddish hue of a light isn't science fictiony or futury or anything. Um, it's not indicative of the future. It just gives that kind of aesthetic uh, in, a, in a really cool way, especially against the backdrop of having all these panels and wires and lights and everything on the on the fixtures behind her is really, really cool, a really good way to kind of give us this deep um, display of, of, you know, her workstation. And, uh, so, uh, so it, it, like, like I said, the lighting works well against the colorful displays of the electronics that she's working with. And speaking of colorful displays, (laughs) she uses a Rodecaster Pro mixer and I'm going to go on a tangent and I'm so sorry for this, (laughs) but the reason, so, okay, I, am name checking the Rodecaster Pro. Um, this is not a paid endorsement or anything like that, but I just want to say that the reason I've been so productive over the past couple of months is because I, when I got the second, um, uh, stimulus check, I decided to upgrade my podcasting equipment. This is back in March. And the biggest upgrade I made was buying a Rodecaster Pro and it's got tons of cool bells and whistles and it's just a really great product. And for those who don't know the ins and outs of podcast production, it's a, it's a mixer board, a sound mixer. Um, that is tailored specifically for podcasting and it allows you to mix audio from several different inputs and use processing features that are built into the board and include, it includes things like sound pads and it's very versatile and, and really cool. And, uh, for my purposes, it really streamlines so much of my podcast production time. It's ridiculous. And it's what has allowed me to be more productive than I probably ever have been in my eight years of podcasting. <laughs> so I'm thrilled to have this product and everything. Um, and it's not an endorsement. It's not a paid endorsement or anything like that. I just love this, love this piece of equipment. And so I say all of that because it is kind of hilarious to me that, <laughs> that this particular product is used as a prop in this episode for science fiction stuff. Um, like we see there's a close up shot of it and we see her move some dials as she's trying to contact the future. And so this is going to seem like kind of a, a dig on the episode. And I don't mean to, to, to be derogatory toward it or anything, but having worked with this piece of equipment for months now, 
and also because there are icons on the board that are visible in that shot. Like, you can clearly see that she's just increasing the volume on the USB and the phone inputs on the board. So, like, if I wanted to pull audio from my laptop into the mix, I would increase the the USB one uh, volume. And if I wanted to plug in my phone and bring stuff in like I do with, like, um, like when I did a commentary track on Patreon for 8th grade and I had Kirsten call in, I would just increase that volume. Um... And I just, I don't know, I just thought it was funny that, like, she's solving time travel by increasing two inputs on her Roadcaster Pro. And also, another note, I'm, I have so many notes on this, I'm so sorry, but the blue square button that, that you see in the shot is the record button at the top of the, at the top of the board. And the blue light means that there's no micro SD card in the board. And the reason that I bring that up is because um, when you, if you freeze frame it there, you see that on the board, it has like, it has the name Roadcaster Pro. And it's important to know that the, that the record button is blue because had they had, like, I, I don't know, I feel like, and this is nitpicking, this is so ridiculous in the weeds uh, of it, but I think it would have made this shot a little less distracting if they had put in a micro SD card into the board and or even just connected a USB and recorded that way. But if they hit record, because if they hit record when they shot that shot, um, that Roadcaster Pro display would have just had a count like um like a like a record icon and a counting uh, a time timestamp thing. And I kind of feel like that would have been a little bit less distracting than having like, oh, this piece of podcasting equipment is in the shot as she's contacting the future. I don't know. So anyway, that is enough just nerding out about that. But I do want to mention kind of in more broad terms about this. It's, it's, I, I very much doubt that it's a piece of product placement because I find it interesting because the first episode of WandaVision on Disney Plus also had a Roadcaster Pro being used as a panel for vague sci-fi purposes. Um, it was just a very quick shot at the end of the episode. And what I find really interesting about these two things, like these two shows are completely separate productions of each other. Like I don't, they don't have anything in common in terms of, uh, studios or, or production companies that I'm aware of. But it makes sense that TV productions would use a Roadcaster Pro for like science fiction paneling purposes and stuff because it is so colorful and it bright and everything and it looks futuristic. But I also have a theory about that. So um, if you'll indulge me, both WandaVision and Solos were in production during a pandemic. Like obviously 2020 was garbage dumpster fire and everything, but it was a it was a pandemic year. And because of the pandemic, there were a lot of restrictions and uh, a lot of just scaled back productions and everything. And on that note, it stands to reason that shows maybe didn't have as big of a crew for set design, prop departments, etc. Likewise, because of the pandemic lockdowns and quarantines, 2020 saw a lot of people creating podcasts. And undoubtedly, that led to a rise in purchases of this particular piece of equipment because... The Roadcaster Pro in the podcast world is extremely popular and viewed as it was in 2019, I think is when it came out. When it, when it came out in 2019, it was viewed as a total game changer back then. Like this is a mixer that is specifically built for podcasting. 
and it's also been co-opted by streaming streamers and everything but this is like this is specifically for that but like just for just to note like there are mixers on the market that are kind of more t- tailored toward music production and everything that you kind of can use to do like in order for me to get some of the features that are built into this with just a cord that you that you plug in I would have to do the just a ton of different crazy things with the mixer that I had before so anyway the final piece about this, and I promise I'll go, I'll go back to reviewing the episode. This ran so much longer than I thought it would. Um, I find it also interesting because I have a theory. I don't know how much weight this theory would have, but the director of this episode, Zach Braff, just happened to launch a podcast in March of 2020 with his uh, Scrubs co-star Donald Faison about their work on Scrubs called Fake Doctors, Real Friends. And so I'm wondering, like, is this is this Zach's, Zach Braff's own piece of podcasting equipment. Um, so Zach, if you're listening, let me know. Um, okay. Okay. Enough of this sidetrack. I'm so sorry, but, uh, back to the show. So aside from the colorful display of the Roadcaster Pro, uh, I really want to compliment the set design for this episode. Like this cluttered display of wires and electronics, they, it gives off such a strong, like back to the future vibe. And it does such a great job of visually telling us just how much Leia's work consumes her entire life. And before knowing like what the meaning is behind that or what the reason is behind that, we just know that this is, this is all encompassing for her entire life. This is her passion. And also we get a cool piece of future tech with this orb recorder thing. I think that's, that's pretty neat. It's kind of, it kind of feels like a, a kind of Philip K. Dick-esque futuristic, uh, piece of, uh, future tech. And so as she's speaking into this orb, which I'm gathering to, assume is a recorder um, that may or may not be linked to the Bluetooth connection on the Roadcaster Pro. Um, she She's talking kind of to herself. It's kind of a little scattered and she references the Verizon Can You Hear Me Now commercials. And eh, like it's it's a it's kind of a fun recurring bit and it comes back into play a couple of times in different contexts. But ultimately, I don't know, something about it just doesn't really land for me personally. Like, it seems like a little bit of a stretch of a reference point to make, and it seems like only designed to call back in a fun way. And even though it's, uh, even though it's called back, like, it still kind of seems like a little bit of a forced purpose behind having it. It just seems a little bland to me. So she moves away from her workstation. She sets the dryer while she's talking into the orb. She mentions, <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny. Um, she mentions how, uh, like LeBron went to another team or whatever and Trump fled to Russia, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and so she sets the clothes in the dryer and she sets the timer on the dryer. And so throughout the rest of the episode, there are shots back to the timer on the dryer. And it kind of goes back to show us how much time has elapsed and everything and how much time is left on the dryer. And ultimately, that kind of felt a little unsatisfying. Like, on one level, it slightly is reminiscent of the opening sequence of Scream, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, with the popcorn popping as the tension mounts as Casey's getting the calls from from Ghostface. And that's a loose connection. That's kind of my brain trying to attribute some kind of purpose behind that because the the showing us this this uh timer on the dryer is kind of giving this giving off this um ticking countdown effect for the story and 
we don't really know what it means as a countdown effect. Like it ultimately kind of comes, it ultimately becomes kind of superfluous. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But as I was watching this episode for the first time, I was under the impression that the dryer being run while she's doing her experiments were actually what solved her time travel problem. And that the end of the dryer, like the, the, the timer of the dryer going off would break the connection and she wouldn't have access to the future. That's what I was kind of thinking that it would lead to. Ultimately, that is not the case. And it's ultimately just kind of a completely like neutral, non, um, non-starter of a, of a, of a, uh, kind of ticking countdown effect. I don't know. I, it just didn't really work that well for me. So Leia gets a call from her sister, Rachel, and um, the kind of just translucent phone uh, reminds me a lot of the hand terminals in The Expanse, at least the first season. I, I've only watched the first season. I love the books, though, um, which is funny because that show is also on uh, Amazon Prime. So um, Rachel kind of derides Leia about her stupid time travel project, and uh, Leia bounces back at her and is like, well, I have funding from private trillionaires and trillionaire investors who race yachts. And these, these lines of dialogue are kind of, um, quippy and, and fun to an extent. But then the conversation kind of turns a little bit where Rachel's talking about their mother. And this is the conversation that establishes that Leia is using her work to avoid her taking care of her mother and Rachel references on the call that she can't look after their mom next Wednesday because her, I think she says 23 and meet, um, rescheduled. And she mentions that he's my perfect chromosomal match. And I thought that was a really interesting piece of world building. And I'm curious if it will be part of a plot in another episode, because it really has that feeling of being an anthology series Easter egg that is, um, like, for instance, the kind of thing that causes a lot of uh, Black Mirror posts about, oh, what is every episode interconnected in Black Mirror? Like, it's just an anthology show with Easter eggs. It's it's fine. So, um, uh, so then Leia speaks to her mother because her mother is asking for her with, with Rachel. And the music shift when she starts to speak to her mother is very somber. And it really completely shifts the tone of the episode. Uh, as Leia starts speaking to her mother. And it's just really great. Um, it really brings this part of the story to the forefront and also clues us into her reasons for being so obsessed with her work. And also to go back to the uh, conversation with Rachel, she mistakenly says something about the Koshi horizon and uh, instead of the greenhouse effect. And it just shows kind of how frazzled she is and how... Um, how just scatterbrained she is because of the the work that she's doing is so all-encompassing. So after the phone call, she returns to speaking into the orb, and she references the Koshi Horizon again, which the Koshi Horizon isn't explained in the episode, and it doesn't need to be. It's just a, um, I don't know if it's a real thing, but it, it's also just like, oh, science fiction uh, mumbo-jumbo. It's fine. So then she has that quintessential science fiction time travel story breakthrough moment, uh, so she rushes back to her workstation and starts typing stuff. And I really like the effect of this where the lights start flickering and uh, brightening. It's kind of a cool production design choice to represent the space-time continuum, kind of going haywire and reacting to her breakthrough. So as she's typing stuff, she increases the volume on the Mic 2 XLR input on the Roadcaster Pro because obviously that and the Koshi Horizon are the key to time travel, apparently. Um, 
Okay, so that's a joke. But to be fair, this does actually make a little bit more sense for her uh, to increase the volume on a piece of sound equipment here because she is kind of communicating with the future. But I don't think the levels on the display uh, showed that it was increased. Anyway, anyway um, so uh, against all odds, she makes contact with her future self. And this is where the show really takes on that short film vibe. Like, I have seen so many short films um, at film festivals that are just like a single character piece uh, where they are reflecting on their lives and everything. And this just has that that ambiance to it, that aesthetic. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really into it. Like, it's not a bad thing by any stretch. I just really like that kind of overall aesthetic. And as she's talking to her future self, uh, she experiences the embarrassment, uh, by making her own callback to the Verizon commercial. It's awkward. Uh, again, I, that I'm not a fan of this particular beat that, or this bit that's done in, in the episode, but it does bring them together and serve a purpose in the, um, plot in terms of, uh, like bringing them together and bringing them back onto the same page, um, as they're communicating with each other. So I don't know, I could take or leave it, but it's, it's fine here. So again, I really like that kind of translucent screen design of the, of the, the displays. And I like the way that they're structured because we're going to get past, um, uh, past Leia on one screen and future Leia on the other. It's, it's a really cool design and set design and everything. And I really found this early conversation with her future self kind of charming. Um, it's, it's kind of fun with all the pop culture references about time travel movies they name check a lot of movies that I'm a fan of, uh, particularly Endgame is, fun, is a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I just, I really like this kind of back and forth between them about 13 going on 30 and everything. And uh, then it is interrupted by a phone call from her mother. And I really like this, the the way that this is shot and, and depicted because present Leia turns around, answers the phone, mutes future Leia future Leia kind of very sneakily unmutes the screen and this is where I'm, I'm going to go a little bit a little bit into a little bit of depth here but I really like the way that this episode explores like concepts of guilt and conscience and and grief in in certain respects it uses this time travel device as a means to explore Leia's mental state in the past the present and the future as it relates to her mother's ALS diagnosis and uh, battle with ALS. And it's revealed later that present Leia wants it to be over and is using her hope of finding a cure as a way to shield her more dark and painful reason for it. While future Leia is both the, uh, future version of that goal. Like she has escaped the present and has been tormented by that ever since, but she's also living after her mother's death. And, a part of her drive is to talk sense into present Leia and give her the advice to kind of cherish her time with her mother. And I think that's just a really powerful uh, kind of dynamic. And it's also, of course, to warn her that escaping the present isn't an actual escape or anything. And then finally, past Leia is kind of the hope for the future. She's outside of this grief and pain bubble and an all-encompassing work bubble. And the dilemma that the other Leia's, Leia's face with her on that front is deciding whether or not to shatter her reality and bring her into this, uh, this vortex of pain and guilt and hurt. 
And I just found that to be a really interesting way to kind of dive into the different, different mental states and different, uh, points in this character's life as it relates to her mother's, uh, illness and, and her, her working toward, um, just caring for her mother and everything. I just really, I really, um, I really like the way that this episode is structured that way. So presently it gets ready to travel into the future. Like you, like you can tell she's immediate, like she's ready for it. She's, she's done waiting around. She wants to, she wants to go. And that's when future Leia lets it slip that she's actually in 2019 in the past. And I really like the little subtlety in the dialogue to this. So future Leia says that she's in quote unquote our basement. And she says that present Leia should tell mom because mom's going to be worried. And so present Leia is like, wait, you're not, you're not happy. You're in 2019. You're not happy. You're dumb. <laughs> and I really like the, I really like future Leia's like 2019 act because she goes, she rapid fires a bunch of like just, um, really annoying, um, cliches. But I really love the, the last one where she's like, I'm pretty sure 2020 is going to be my year. Um, <laughs> which has a double piece of just funny humor to it because, I mean, that's just a really cliched and, and annoying thing for anyone to say. <laughs> but also the fact that 2020 was 2020 is, is, uh, is, is kind of, uh, funny, I guess, in a, in a dark way. So then, then it gets into kind of this childish humor banter between the present and future Leia's, um, here as future, future Leia's pretending to be past Leia. Um, and it's a little bit, it's a little much, but it's not bad. In particular, the kind of riff about the Game of Thrones ending discussion, it's kind of fun, but all it really serves to remind me is that Game of Thrones is pretty much totally gone from the zeitgeist now. <laughs> so in this context, it kind of seems kind of awkward. Like I, I don't know. It just seems kind of just a little bit forced. Um, it, it kind of gives, gives this impression of like, uh, writing this or like this episode is trying really hard to be relevant in terms of saying something that is relevant to the story and relative relevant to pop culture. And even though in 2019 where future Leia is purporting to be from, even though at that time Game of Thrones was big because it was heading toward its finale um, here in 2021, it has completely been wiped off of the cultural zeitgeist. So it kind of seems like a forced pop culture reference in this context, despite the context of the time travel aspect of this episode. So, um, Leia then does some science stuff and gets in contact with the real past Leia because she's reversing, reversing something on it. I don't know, but I like how future Leia tries to stop her from it. And there's this frantic way that present Leia is reacting to her and reacting to what's going on. That's, it's a lot of fun. Like uh, Anne Hathaway, even though this episode does go into some dark and, and heavy emotional places, she still has a lot of fun with this role. And I, I really appreciate that in the performance. And so then she contacts real past Leia, uh, 2019 Leia. And uh, that's when it's revealed that future Leia is actually future Leia. And that's a fun turn. Um, she explains that she wanted to stop present Leia from going there. And future Leia says that she won't give present Leia the algorithm to come to the future because it quote unquote, wouldn't be fair. And I like this a lot and matching it with future Leia's disapproving tone toward present Leia. It feels like this interdimensional slap in the face, like future Leia has experienced the loss and grief associated with her mother's death. And also, um, 
has experienced that the escape from the present does not work. Like she is, she has traveled into the future and she knows that that's not going to, that's not going to change anything. It's not going to make it any less, any less hard. So she, in this context, has no patience for present Leia's goal to avoid confronting the hardship that's to come. And I really appreciate that kind of subtlety in future Leia's, um, kind of motivation in the episode. And, then on the other hand, or on the other side, we have present Leia shielding past Leia from the truth about her mom's ALS diagnosis. And it just shows how much present Leia's entire life is consumed by her mother's illness and the pain of that. Um, it's really like the present Leia stuff is really great acting by Anne Hathaway. But I've got to say the stuff from 2019 Leia is a little bit stuffy and a little awkward for me. Um but I mean, the scenes, the scenes in particular throughout this episode where Anne Hathaway is talking to, uh, Leia's mother in, in, on the phone are just dynamite, um, acting sequences. So, uh, this is where future Leia calls present Leia out for why she really wants to go in the future. And that, that reveal that Leia wants to go five years into the future specifically because that's how, that's her, that's her mother's prognosis. And, her reveal that she needs her mother to be gone is absolutely heartbreaking. Again, this is a really great scene for Anne Hathaway and she's phenomenal in it. Um, like the pain of her experience caring for her mother and the strain it has put on her does such a good job of overshadowing that inherent selfishness of her wanting to run away. Like she is exuding that pain so purely and so, um, uh, naturally that it kind of makes you think like, okay, well, what she is wanting to do is incredibly selfish and incredibly um, self-serving to an extent, uh, incredibly to an extent. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's incredibly self-serving, but you really, it, it, she sells that pain and the torment of having to like having to internalize all that pain and of the thought of losing her mother is just so powerful that it overshadows that selfishness. And this is just a really good example of why I love science fiction <laughs> and why I feel science fiction is such a powerful backdrop to tell human stories. Um, because this is a, an incredibly relatable human experience, like this need and desire to escape your present hardships just to get away from them and to just to let the thing that's inevitable be done and over with and move on with your life. It's incredibly relatable, um, no matter the context. And using the time travel plot device as a means not only to showcase that as an, as an alternative to uh, dealing with your issues in the present, but also as a means to showcase the different voices of one's conscience is really strong. And it makes the themes of this episode super clear and really, really intense and uh, relatable. Because you have this display of these different versions of Leia as she is talking to them. And you have future Leia who knows the pain that she's going through and trying to avoid. And you have past Leia who is completely innocent and doesn't know what's to come. And you just have this just all-encompassing viewpoint of this person in this person at different stages of her life as it relates to her mother who she loves incredibly like she it's the her mother is the love of her life as she says uh when she's quizzing future leia 
And to have like those different viewpoints and those different stages of her of her reality converge into one space and have converse, conversations with her is just really incredible storytelling and, and really cool um a really cool way to develop and um really dig into the character and the catharsis that the character desires and and reaches at some point. And so as future Leia is kind of I guess berating present Leia about uh wanting to run away from wanting to run away from uh from her mother's illness and everything, she says this line that I think is just heartbreaking. She says that uh, um Oh, no, no, no. Actually, this is present Leia saying how hard it is for... That's right. Okay, I'm sorry. So present Leia says that it is hard for her to deal with her mother's illness and everything because every day is a year. Um, I think I think that that's, that's the context. I don't know. But anyway, that's just heartbreaking. And honestly, to get a little bit real, it reminds me a little bit of what I went through when my own dad was at the at his end of sta- end of life stage. He passed away in 2016 um, of congestive heart failure. And so... He had in-home health care and he was in hospice care, like in-home. And the last, like, as his, as his, um, condition was degrading, the nurses said, like, okay, well, we, like, this is where he's at now. This is his vitals right now. They're on a steep decline. You're going to have probably around two weeks left before, you know, he passes. And so that triggered in me and my family this, I mean, this intense pain and heartbreak and everything, but also, just like this round the clock kind of we needed to be there we needed to be with him we needed to you know give him water and morphine and everything kind of around the clock um it was very very just hard on my whole family and there was a bunch of ex- external stuff that was going on that were it was the worst the worst experience of my entire life and uh anyway so <laughs> i can relate to this episode in in a pretty profound way um for for this. So, um uh present Leia explains or one of them says that um by the time she's diagnosed, by the time her mother's diagnosed, there's no possibility for a cure. And oh, that's present Leia explaining it to past Leia because she's shattering past Leia's world. And past Leia says, and because of the butterfly effect, you can't change anything without destroying everything. And then present Leia says the best line of the episode that is filled with so much subtext and so much pain. She says, I need her to be a thing of the past so I can be a thing of the future. And holy hell, that is an incredible, incredible uh, line and an incredible window into present Leia's current kind of predicament or her um, her pain because she can't. And and again, it's kind of it has this selfish tint to it, but it also has this relatability or this relatable aspect because it is an incredibly hard situation to find herself in. And the desire for it to be over is so painful to her. And that's expressed so purely and so clearly in Anne Hathaway's performance. I just I I thought that that line was just incredible and, and phenomenal. So then present Leia has this epiphany that that she didn't solve time travel, that future Leia was actually reaching out to her. And she says she asks future Leia, why, why did you do that? 
future Leia says, because you need to accept, you can't fix it. And I found this to be a really interesting turn um, that future Leia was the one reaching out to present Leia. And it gives future Leia an extra dimension in that she's suffering through the pain and the need to try to fix things and to change the past. But it's also her reaching out to Leia to course correct her into not becoming consumed by this goal. I found that to be really interesting and really cool. So future Leia is the version of Leia that did escape it. And she learned she could never really escape. And she sacrificed the last time that she had with her mother uh, so that she could gamble away a potential cure. And so when future Leia tells present Leia that she needs her to stay, this I found, I, I don't know if this is me just projecting something on here or if this is an actual intentional thing, but I really found it interesting that when future Leia tells present Leia she needs her to stay, the soundtrack, like the score, very, very slightly feels a little bit reminiscent of the score from Interstellar by Hans Zimmer, which also features Hathaway and also deals with time travel and time dilation. And its main theme on its soundtrack by Hans Zimmer is titled Stay, which I thought was interesting that it like I made that connection when present Leia or when future Leia tells present Leia that she needs her to stay um, and everything. I don't know. Um, That could be nothing that could be completely unintentional, but I kind of thought that that was interesting. And so, um, then, then another powerful line, future Leia says, just be there like I couldn't. And I thought that was just, that was beautiful. It's really exploring this humanity, this, this human connection, which is kind of the theme of this whole series, I think, um, in a really profound and, and interesting way. So then present Leia decides to give the secret of time travel to what who she dubs baby leia which i kind of liked uh 2019 leia being like i don't know how i feel about that um but she gives her the secret to time travel in uh so that she can let her go as far as she needs to into the future to find a cure and that is where everything kind of comes together where therefore thereby destroying the timelines that present and future leia exist in and uh, so everything up until this point was really working really well for me. But this turn, I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of presented as this selfless act by present Leia to secure the health and the future of her mother, which I get and I appreciate and I, and I, I like on the surface. But it also kind of undermines this central theme of not running away from your problems and your grief and everything. Um, it kind of feels like, the catharsis of this episode should have been present Leia, like realizing that, okay, she has a finite amount of time with her mother. She needs to stop trying to fix things and just be present with her mother and, and like, like still keep her in her life for as long as she can. Um, but it's more that she's just like, okay, well, I now have a loophole. I can sacrifice myself and my future self in order uh, so that you know, so that my entire past self could bypass this entire pain and everything, which I don't know. It, it just, it seems a little counterintuitive to uh, the kind of human element of the story. So 2019 Leia is frantic. She's like, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm not ready. And present Leia says, and you never will be, but it's time. And I, I, I like that. I like that line on the surface, even if I don't like the context of it. And I don't like the um, and uh, how unsure I am to, uh, about how I feel about the way that, uh, it's coming into play in context of the episode. So anyway, um, future, um, Leia <laughs> says, calls present Leia a fucking traitor 
And the response that President Leia says is this very kind of um, dark, like, can you hear me now? Um, which, again, that callback, it, do, it, it doesn't really work for me. It's kind of meh, but I don't know. I kind of like that it does have some importance in the actual episode. Like, that's fine. So... Um, President Leia explains that she can't leave mom in that beige room to die with no hope. And she can't let mom and her go through that pain. And she says that we have to make way for a new future. And again, I enjoy that sentiment. I enjoy that sentiment. I think that that is a profound kind of um, human kind of thing. But also it is kind of turning away... Um, turning the character away from really reaching any kind of catharsis in, in, uh, in the moment, which I, I'm not, I'm not on board with. Um, and, and then the episode kind of really takes a dark turn in its final moments because future Leia starts pleading and screaming, saying that she doesn't want to die. And I'm like, that, like that is just, it, it's, it's a little bit of a very sharp turn toward just darkness and, and, uh, pain. And it's just, it, it's kind of brutal. Um, and it, it represents present Leia kind of turning into kind of a villain. And she says, like, she says to future Leia, like, you still have time. You're smarter, but she's younger. And then that's when she cuts the connection. And I don't know. On one hand, I like this as a way of showing us present Leia sort of transforming into future Leia or into the future Leia that, you know, is still possessed by this uh, need to save her mother. Um because, but she's also bypassing all the pain by giving past Leia the key and hope for survival. And I don't know, it's, it kind of has this circular kind of idea to it because if past Leia fails, she's lost out on being with her mother. Um, and it's, I don't know, I don't, it's kind of, it kind of feels a little bit messy. So we end the episode with Leia breaking the connection and calling her mother one last time. And again, this is the emotional core, the emotional crux in the painful part of the story where she, she says like she talks to her mother and asks her to sing her the song when she sang that she sang to her when she was scared during, I think a hurricane. And it's, it's this beautiful and poignant moment where, um, the music kind of transitions from the mother on the phone singing it into kind of into the score of the, uh, in the soundtrack of the episode while, um, Leia sits on the, on the recliner and just listens to her mother's voice singing her to sleep as everything disintegrates around her, including the Roadcaster Pro. And then Anne Hathaway disintegrates as well and everything is, is gone. Um, that is a, is a very interesting ending to the episode and, and powerful in its own right. Um, but I think the, the, the point of the episode where it just really, really comes home and really is powerful is when Anne Hathaway as Leia is talking to her mother and she, like, you have that slight regression where she calls her mother mommy. I thought that was such a nice touch and so heartwarming and, and painful. Um, and then we end the episode and, and that's, that's Leia. And so, yeah, um, that is the first episode of Solos. Overall thoughts, very solid first episode, even though I didn't really connect with some of the things in it, both in terms of the dialogue and in terms of kind of the overall resolution and catharsis of the character. I am still very excited for 
first of all, a cast of all the other episodes. Like this, this show has an incredible cast. I mean, Helen Mirren, Anthony Mackie, Morgan Freeman, Dan Stevens, uh, Uzo Aduba, and, um, Constance Wu and, and, uh, someone else I'm forgetting. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it, I'm very excited to really dig into the rest of these episodes and everything. And I thought that this was a very solid first episode and a good, a good introduction to what we're hopefully going to see in episodes to come. And speaking of which, so next time on the podcast, uh, my next bonus episode of the podcast is going to be for episode two of Solos called Tom, which stars uh, Anthony Mackie. Um, and I'm hoping that my Patreon B-roll episode is going to be me talking about the movie Syn- uh, Synchronic, um, which is a movie... Ah, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who directed the Twilight Zone season two episode, um, with, uh, Joel McHale called eight in, uh, Monkey Paw Productions season two of the Twilight Zone. So, uh, that'll come next week. Um, again, if you pledge $10 or more on Patreon, you get access to every one of these seven bonus episodes right out of the gate. So you don't have to wait a week to hear my next one. And then one after that, and the one after that, you have instant access to all that. Again, that's at uh, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And uh, yeah, so on that note, I'm going to, uh, to, uh, to play me out. And, now, and uh, sh- Oh wait, that was the wrong thing. <laughs> on that note, I'm going to play myself out. And uh, I want to thank you guys for listening and uh, hope you guys have a good one. And um, yeah, thank you guys so much and take care. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. But the scene with Isaiah was was the standout of the episode. But I will say that probably the set, my second favorite scene is something we saw in the trailers and everything, them... I almost said playing with the with the shield, but practicing with the shield and everything, and the two of them outdoors throwing the shield, catching the shield and everything. But the conversation that they had was like, I it I don't know why it didn't click with me or why I didn't th- I, like. It's something. It's one of those things that it's like I didn't know I wanted this so bad. <laughs> um, Sam talking to Bucky about Bucky's dreams and or nightmares rather. And Sam, like, counseling him or consoling him and being, like, that that um, that outreach person, like, the VA outreach person that he was in, in uh, The Winter Soldier. Like, that was just, like, that struck such a chord with me. And that, that just really felt, like, so genuine and organic. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. 
If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! At LensCrafters, we value expertly tailored eye care, provide state-of-the-art eye exams, offer a wide assortment of designer brands and high-quality lenses, because everything we do at LensCrafters is for every site that makes your life special. We offer 50% off lenses with frame purchase, shop in-store and online. Book your annual eye exam now on LensCrafters.com. LensCrafters, because sight. Eye exams are available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to LensCrafters. Doctors in some states are employed by LensCrafters. Offer valid to April 2nd, 2023. See associate for details.